Welcome to Next in Nonprofits. I'm Steve Boland, and I am very pleased to be joined today by Erica Blake, a consultant at Tech Impact, and Lee Broderick, another consultant with Tech Impact. Erica, Lee, thank you both so much for taking the time today. You're welcome. Thanks, Steve. It's nice to be here. Um, I asked for some time from your team to talk a little bit about how decisions get made on moving up a technology ladder, as it were, about some services in particular. And I want to talk more about that very specific use case in just a second. But for people who are not yet familiar with Check Impact and the work that you do there, uh, could you just explain a little bit about your mission and how you go about doing that work? Sure. Tech Impact is a nonprofit, and we work only with other nonprofits. We provide technology support and education to nonprofits across the country and sometimes even inter internationally in many different ways. We provide, um, you know, projects like technology implementation or strategy projects. We provide education and um, research and resources um, that, that those are often through Idealware, which is a, pro a program of Tech Impact. And um, we have many different kinds of webinars for free for the nonprofit community from our website, techimpact.org. Um, we also have a workforce development program where we train at-risk youth in um, different job development uh, tracks. And Lee and I are both part of the consulting team at Tech Impact. Uh, we provide ongoing support for nonprofits um, in like uh, use of tech, uh, use of data and data strategy, data analysis, data visualization, administration, and also you know cl cloud migration and more sort of like technology oriented like start and end type projects. Lots and lots of different tools and ideas, and people can ask for your help with very specific things. The The thing that I was aware of that was a service you provided that I run into just constantly as I'm talking to people in the nonprofit sector is um, making some decisions about what are the right tools for who your organization is, uh, and knowing full well that you know it's going to vary so much depending on your mission and your needs and your place in the world. But the thing that got me to ask for some of your time on the podcast today was uh, this place I keep running into newer organizations that are, you know, three, four, maybe five years old that started out implementing every free tool we could find because the word free with a nonprofit <laughs> sounds fantastic, right? Um, can't run away from free. So when you first decide I, I need to be communicating to supporters, I want to do an email newsletter. Oh, look, this MailChimp thing is free for the first 2000 uh, subscribers. So uh, that's great. I'll, I'll pick that up and use it. I see that all out there. These other services are inexpensive. I'll, I'll pick those up and they're you know very inexpensive for the first thousand users or for the first two or three users at my nonprofit that need a license or whatever. And we we piece things together mostly on how much does it cost us in dollars to um, access them at the beginning. But I think many organizations start running into this question of how much staff time am I putting into using all these lovely free things? But when do they stop becoming free as I grow more and have more access and whatnot? So I think that there are so many ways that this happens, but um, right ahead of recording, uh, Erica, we were talking about the idea of this first pain point might be your, your email list gets big enough that you 
you are now starting to pay and you don't start paying, you know, a dollar a month or two dollars a month. It's fifty dollars a month and then sixty dollars a month and then more and more and more. And suddenly you start thinking about that cost over a year. You go, wait a minute, <laughs> with that kind of money, maybe there's a different solution. So I run into that with, as a starting point to start talking about the other places. Um, how do you start hearing from people at Tech Impact? How do they kind of cross your threshold saying, we're running into this issue. Uh, how can you help us figure out what the next steps are? Yeah, well, the scenarios you described, Steve, are really uh, familiar to us. Uh, we do we are running we run into organizations all the time who, you know, as staff, you know, sort of expertise and interest, you know, diverge. You know, you've got a staff who picks up a free tool over here to do sort of like event management, and over here for um, volunteer recruitment or sign up, and then you've got another staff who's doing the same type of work but in a different free tool, and I think that uh, you know the, the way you phrase that question is 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 correct in that um, when when you've got that when you've got like disparate systems there's no sort of organizational data and when there is like sort of a lack of cohesion around sort of like well who are our volunteers and when do they you know sign up for shifts and which which ways do they like communication and all these different things you don't have an organizational answer and so you're not really able to learn from the data that you're collecting and the data that you have, because one thing that we know for sure when we are uh, working with nonprofits day in and day out is we're all collecting a lot of data. There are there's so much data that we have, but when it when it's not usable, when it's not something that we can actually gain insight from, when we don't have the answer to the question about like, you know how many emails do we send out and what is the result of those emails? Like how many donors over here have received and opened emails over here when you've got like different systems, you know, when you've got your MailChimp sort of um, communications in one system and then your donor management system and, you know, somewhere else and they're not communicating, you, there's like a, a loss of possibility, a loss of insight there. And so some organizations come to us and they don't, they may not even understand how much time they're spending, you know, sort of trying to tie together different data sources and that they might be at a place where a more um, comprehensive system would allow them to have like better insights about their constituents at a, as a whole. And even if it costs, you know, two or three times more than what they're paying for their separate like free or almost free tools, the ability to learn something about what they're doing and what works is, you know, could could uh, increase their invest investment, um, you know, many times over. Right. And I think that when we have that conversation about things that started because they were free, uh, often we have to get into the conversation with nonprofit uh, folks that are enamored of the idea that I didn't pay anything for the license for that, but I've spent 16 hours of staff time uh, trying to make it do something that it was never designed to do and it never did it very well anyway. And at that cost, we could have had something that was designed to solve the problem that I'm trying to, to do, but we really have that, you know, free as in beer and free as in puppies kind conversation where, um, you know, if you do get the free thing that really has a, a one-time benefit to you, you know, somebody gives you a, a in-kind donation of, you know, uh, tables and chairs to use in the office, that's, that's great. That's wonderful. It's free. But this kind of free as in I have to feed it and walk it three times a day and how much time am I putting into that? It's really, uh, I think, harder for nonprofits to talk about 
their their true cost of ownership of a system when they really have to start thinking about staff time? At least this is my perception. And Lee, I don't know, do you have that conversation with clients often? Yeah, we often do. In fact, one of the support services that we offer is for Salesforce support, because as you know, Salesforce is free for up to 10 licenses for nonprofits, and there's a lot of capability in the system, but they'll get into using the software and realize that they don't have the time or the capability to support Salesforce, and they, they haven't built in those factors when, they are, when they're looking at the cost-benefit analysis of use, if they even do a cost-benefit analysis of using a particular software. And um, so Salesforce is a good example of one that has great capability, but is, um, has a lot of care and feeding that's required that most nonprofits don't realize when they start off with that software. Well, I'm glad you mentioned Salesforce in particular because it is a more extreme example of um, a system that is uh, you know, free for those first 10 users for the nonprofit. Uh, and many, uh, well, I was going to use the word plugins. I don't really use that word in Salesforce, but many um, uh, add-on systems that can be kind of glued mm -hmm. into it, uh, That some of which cost different things and some don't cost anything. But uh, it is an enterprise-level solution, and if you are, you know, a staff of ten or a staff of fifteen, um, it may be that, you know, how much time and energy can you put into that versus could we hire Tech Impact to manage this part of it, and then we can just use the interface or whatever. But there's there's interim steps between that very large, very powerful Salesforce kind of thing and the very 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 cheap and easy and sometimes free stuff. So do do people step in right? from, you know, I, I was using Excel spreadsheets into Salesforce, or are there uh, recommendations that you kind of see, and, and are some of those based a little bit on staff size, or is it about sector, or how do you help people well, decide? I, some people actually do, because it is free for 10, you know, for 10 licenses, some people do jump into it right from Excel, okay. just because, you know, they realize they're getting something powerful for free. And, you know, often they're under, you know, a staff of under 10 people. Um, so it, it's not unusual to have a very small uh, nonprofit who decided to use it because of that. So, and is that yeah. something where you, in in your consulting role, have seen use cases where you recommend? Yeah, right. You're in a place where Salesforce actually does make sense for you if you've got these kinds of supports in there, or if they come to you first, is that less likely to be you know the recommendation for a ten person shop? Well, it really depends on their requirements. Okay. We're less likely to recommend it, though, for a small organization unless they have very specific requirements um, that would lead you that way. So we we would do an we one of the services that we offer is to do a data analysis or a data assessment of uh, folks' requirements in a specific application area or multiple application areas, and then look at you know do some market research as to then what's a good fit for that. And there's lots of things that go into that, those recommendations, not only the, the functional requirements, but the support requirements, the budget, those types of things. So, you know, so that they can at least make an informed decision. Often, if, you know, if we were supporting Salesforce, they would be paying us in support costs what they may be paying in license fees for a, a much lower priced um, software solution. Uh, I mean, is it possible to imagine, you know, for that ten-person shop, what a what a cost might be for support from Tech Impact, for example? I mean, how much would we be talking? Well, we we charge one hundred and twenty-five an hour for, you know, a minimum of three hours. So you're starting at three hundred and seventy-five dollars a month. Um, and there's definitely solutions out there that are less costly than that. Right. But and some of those solutions might also be like. Um, 
you know, sort of end-to-end -end holistically designed for a certain kind of data process. So like right. there might be a full fundraising system, which Salesforce is not, even with all of the apps, you know, from the Salesforce app, app store, uh, which some of those you'd have to pay for, you're still not going to get the whole like complete fundraising, you know, system that uh, you might get from from other fundraising tools. Well, I appreciate you mentioning, uh, Erica, that that idea that some of these things are available sort of by nonprofit segment. And one of the clients I work with is a museum. And I was stunned uh, at the options that there are that are very specific to that type of use case, where you're looking at guests that are going to be coming into a space on a regular basis as members or whatever. And there are integrated solutions that do donor management, membership management, all that kind of geared towards that smaller community yes. museum thing. And yep. if you didn't know that ahead of time, uh, you might be thinking, well, you know, I have to kind of piece together my membership pl platform, I piece together my donor platform, I piece together email. But there are some things that are segmented. So how do you, as consulting professionals in this space, either have lists of things that you are already aware of or do research when you get that nonprofit that comes to you and says, we do this one very specific thing. How do you help them look at, are there those integrated verticals that really make more sense for them than that might not make sense for just any small nonprofit? We do our research. There's a lot of different ways that we'll do that. Sometimes we start with um, these Idealware reports. Uh, Idealware is a mm -hmm. program of tech impact. They review whole classes of software on a regular basis. And then um, they, are, they have like, they pay for independent research to review whole classes of software. They develop, you know, tens pages, you know, tens to even more pages reports on, um, you know, features that might be expected in a certain type of software class, you know, whether that be like grant making or grant seeking or which is which is a distinction that, you know, is not something that everyone that everyone knows grant right. seeking is more likely to be a free class of software grant making is definitely not. Um, and, 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 you know, there are, there are other things like where you might have to just start by educating yourself about like, what does this mean? What are, what is a fundraising software? I might, I might need to go do like a couple of different webinars to understand like, what are some common features here? But we, you know, so much of the consulting that we do with, with nonprofits is about education so that yeah. first it's like, oh, hey, you came to us and you have these needs your needs are really disparate and ne not necessarily going to belong in a certain vertical. And so if you're going to try and, you know, get together a couple different verticals in a row, like you're talking about a very complex system and you might do better to kind of go with two systems that are side by side that track different kinds of data and are really good for different kinds of processes. Even if you have to spend a few hundred dollars, you know, um, a month or more, you know, maintaining both of those systems and then thinking about what kind of data needs to be integrated between the two of them. It might still be better to pursue that than it is for like, hey, we need to build the biggest, you know, custom database that is going to have all of our data and all of our processes in one place. I think that, you know, a, an easy example of that kind of thing may be about the communications function different from fundraising or other kinds of donor management 
um, needs. Because uh, I do think that um, I'm a, a fan of Little Green Light, for example, as a donor database for the entry level thing, which is a very low annual cost, a little bit of a processing fee for using the forms. But it's it makes sense for small organizations in many cases, but its internal communication stuff is just not up to snuff, and I, I wouldn't want to use it. But it does have an API integration to things like MailChimp or Constant Contact, which are more commonly used uh, out there to do better communication. So is is that the kind of use case you're talking about where you're saying, you know, maybe it's comms that runs parallel to the, this other tracking system or some other need where you really might have a specific second set intentionally? Uh, I would say so. And, yeah. and one thing that I would definitely, uh, you know, investigate while assessing a new tool like that you know, for example, a little green light is when people say integration, they can mean a variety of different kinds of things. You know, an integration is usually custom, you know, some developer built it with their, you know, sort of like the needs or intentions of the people who were, you know, influencing that integration at that time. And it doesn't necessarily mean the same thing to the people who've built it as it does to you. So if you think you're going to be able to access all of your, you know, MailChimp data from within Little Green Light, that's unlikely. Vice versa, you know what I mean. Right. So you'll want to, while investigating, actually look at what that integration is. Sometimes it is really just reporting back one to five fields from one system to another. And if those aren't the fields that are useful to you, eh, you know, that's what the integration is, or that's the free, that's the free integration, right? right. <laughs> That's a good reminder because again, there's that that free as in uh, puppies kind of cost there. It's like, well, the, yeah, I mean, but now it requires a lot of staff time to understand. Great, that person is on my mailing list and they're a donor, but all I know is that they're on the mailing list. I don't know. Do they open the things? Do they uh, click on anything? Have they actually, you know, responded to a, an appeal? Um, it, that part of it, I have to do some extra work if I'm going to envision that particular scenario. So I, I want to come back to that in a moment, but I think one of the questions I have, and maybe Lee, if you could kind of help us with this part, is how people do find you or how you reach out to let people know that this is a service that Tech Impact provides. Because I do think many people just get stuck not knowing what to do because they're not professional consultants in this field. They don't have that experience of knowing how to research what options may be. And often I run into folks that are like, yeah, I don't like this, but I don't have time to think about you know what the next thing may be, and I don't have the expertise for it. Do they come to you saying, well, I just finally broke down and did a web search and you turned up? Or uh, do you find other ways that they come through your door? Well, we have people come in a variety of ways. We have we do have a managed service team. So we have clients that will come in who have been people who we may have been supporting on their help desk. And then they realize that we also have, you know, they start to get a little more sophisticated and, and, and digging into their data needs. And they may come to us through that avenue. We do have salespeople. We have, uh, you know, our presence on the web and through Idealware. So there's a, and we also do uh, uh, quite a few web webinars, and we get many leads through webinars as well. We have a data oh, yeah. assessment webinar, um, Salesforce webinars, SharePoint webinars, things like that. So people become aware of us um, from those avenues as well. Um, and when they, you know, when they come to us, you know, it's it's understanding the area that they're trying to focus on. Like I said, often it's multiple areas and then really getting them um, to when we take them through the project, it's really getting them to to define their requirements. Um, we map it out very clearly for them in terms of and then confirm what they're looking for. Um, and then that allows us to really do a, a, a good job of doing the market research for them. So. 
it's kind of the way it works. And Tech Impact also has, um, you know, we're involved in many conferences throughout the year, and we actually put on our own nonprofit technology conference called Tech Forward. It's in September. And, um, you know, so we'll get sort of, um, you know, new contact or new new client generation through the fact that we are involved in a lot of nonprofit technology conferences and our guest speakers at those things, and we also hold our own. I think one of the challenges I see with some organizations, again, those smaller ones that are, they've gotten past that startup phase. They, they now have some donors. Probably they've got a donor database of some kind. It may not be the right one for them, but maybe they've moved beyond Excel and they're they're doing something. Um, do they have staff capacity and interest where they would send somebody to a conference like that? Or um, are they you know, maybe reluctant to invest staff time into something they don't feel like they understand very well. And I, I think that there's a, a spot in, I keep saying, you know, 10 to 20 kind of staff size where they don't have a dedicated person that thinks about technology and data integration, but they do have a development person or they maybe have a communications and development person. And that person has to learn how to use all these tools that maybe don't work particularly well for them. But uh, bridging that gap to the next in level seems challenging to me. Do you hear that from people? Well, the folks that come to Tech Forward are often ones that that aren't clients and and not necessarily are IT folks. So and they're and they're they're definitely are IT people from organizations there. But it's a pretty wide range of people. But it's not only IT IT nonprofit conferences that we're going to. So you know we will run into uh, develop people within development and um, you know programs and things like that at other types of conferences. So it's it's not necessarily IT focused. Okay. But I, I do think, um, Steve, like you're going, your, your question about whether, you know, there's, there are staff members in, you know, key positions who, who are being asked to use tools that maybe they don't have familiarity with or, um, you know, be an expert in a technology that maybe, you know, is not something that they, you know, came up using in their professional lives. Like, I think that that is pretty common and that is a gap that we, you know, need to bridge as a sector and i think that that tech impact is like attempting to do that in 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 so far as you know coaching organizations to think about you know when they adopt tools how how they're going to how are they going to like maintain them and sustain them you know sort of what are the supports that their staff are going to need ongoing and are they budgeting for those types of things in addition to just like the initial implementation and training push no, those are really important pieces, and I think that the idea of um, you know um, how do I how do, how was this presented to me once that uh, um, culture eats strategy for lunch is that the phrase that I've heard um, <laughs> that if somebody puts together a strategy and says you know we've uh, we've identified um, a better tool that we think is going to you know be the right thing for us but if you haven't looked at the the culture of who are those people that we just talked about that have been asked to use these tools that are coming into this space um, you know depending on the mission of the organization their background or whatnot they they may throw their hands up at a tool that doesn't uh, feel intuitive or doesn't um, feel that, that they're a part of that decision-making process and just not implement it as well as it could be versus, you know, that old thing they at least knew how to use. And if it's not working particularly well, but they used it, um, is that part of the identification process in your consulting work to help go at what point do you say, sure, Salesforce is an option, 
but you guys aren't going to use it if we if we give it to you. So <laughs> let's 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 give you something that you'll actually put to work. Is it, there's got to be some balance in there somewhere? I assume. Well, often, yeah, you know, people think that a, a new solution will solve problems that really aren't IT or solution problems. They're they're basic business process issues that they really have to address before they start throwing new technology at them. And that's something that we will point out when we do this type of these types of um, consulting efforts with them is that technology is not going to be the answer. You still you have you know, issues in terms of how you're either gathering the data or trying to share information, that solution and decisions are made that's, a, it's not a solution answer. So, you know, that's some of the stuff that, that you need to consider when you're doing technology projects is it's not always the technology that's the issue. Right. So in your work at, at looking at kind of the cost benefit analysis and the total cost of ownership, uh, um, how how do you help evaluate the readiness and willingness of a existing staff? Uh, and of course, staff turns over over time. That always happens. But uh, to um, step into a tool, uh, how do you help them think through what are you ready to absorb versus what are the costs? Because those may be different things. The the cheaper thing may not be the right thing if staff isn't going to use it. Uh, well, so, you know, some of what we do is we we map their current processes and how they're uh, accomplishing their jobs and the data that they use as they go through that. And that often turns up areas where, again, it's not necessarily a systems issue as much as um, it's a business process, you know, issue that could be causing some of the problems. So it'll be identified in that way. Hmm. And if you wanted to join in, um, Erica. Yeah, I was going to say, I also think like during our, you know, sort of when, when we're conducting sort of an assessment for either a strategy project or, you know, like a, you know, a tool identification market research project, we're doing interviews with nonprofit staff. And so we are surfacing like the history of like historical, you know, tool usage at the organization and and understand what people's workarounds are. It's like, you know, I don't really know how to do this thing in the tool where the organizational tool that we're using here. So I just do it in my Excel spreadsheet, yeah. you know, and, or I do it this way, or I just don't, I don't know how to do that. I'm not going to do it kind of thing. And like, so, um, you know, identifying that the the record shows that you haven't been, the organization hasn't been great at like fully optimizing the tools that they're using. And so just calling it out, like in the future, there's going to have to be, you know, there's going to have to be some monitoring of use. Is the data actually coming from this system? Are people feeling supported so that they can use it, uh, you know? But kind of looking at the historical use and like what people are using instead of is is a big part of the the the, the culture really of of using different tools. Yeah, the number of times I've heard folks say, "Well, I know how to get into that tool. Download stuff into Excel, yeah. <laughs> and do the things that I need to do with it because I know how to work Excel." And then that that knowledge is not recorded anywhere else except that one person's use of that one Excel thing. So, if if we look at the results of that particular fund development campaign or that volunteer recruitment effort or whatever, um, we're we're not really able to see what was the the magic behind that that was either successful or not because it wasn't part of of a, a tracked system somewhere. Somebody did it offline, as it were, and sometimes to great advantage, and we'd love to be able to duplicate that, and sometimes, you know, not using the information very well, and then it doesn't go as well, and we're not sure that it was the tool. Yeah, I, I really appreciate you talking through how you then measure, are people doing that, and 
if if they're still kind of manipulating things outside of systems, maybe that's okay. Uh, and we just need to know how that's being measured. And that was a choice, but uh, yeah, difficult. I, I want to ask though, um, I we've been talking a little bit about kind of coming up from those smaller organizations and evolving into more complicated systems that maybe involve some cost, but probably, you know, are going to show real substantial benefit. And we have to look at both of those things. Are there just size tiers that you kind of think about that when people do that the first time, maybe that lasts them three or five years or three years, and then they've got to come back and go, well, now we're 20% bigger again, or, you know, technology has changed and there's a very different process out there that we really weren't thinking about before. And therefore we, we want to project kind of an end of life and a, and a way to come back rather than saying, we just keep using the same thing until it is beaten to death and we really never think about it again. <laughs> or how do you help people once they've made the leap up to the next thing, think about when might we come back and look at this in the future? Go. Well, we. <laughs> I was going to say we've only been our group has been around only for four years, so we haven't really gone oh, through no. that life cycle yet. <laughs> so, but technology is continually evolving, and if you exactly. think that the choice that you're making today is either going to stay the same, it's not going to. Um, and I would be concerned, right. honestly, if you if you select a software, a tool for your process today, and it changes not at all over the next three, four, five years, you may have selected the wrong choice because you know, there will be more features, there will be more things available to us in like future iterations of a software. And if your software is not evolving as you evolve, then, and as like the space evolves, then maybe that was the wrong choice of software. Like we are, you know, even like a, a tool that we use continually all day and and work with organizations in like Microsoft Office 365. I mean, it is changing daily, and and it's you know to a certain extent it can it can be kind of frustrating because it's like this menu option that used to be over <laughs> here during a training is now who knows where, yeah. um, you know, and and it's like just but that is that is part of baked into the training now when you are talking about adopting office 365 you have to imagine that with something like microsoft behind it we are going to be continually evolving we're going to be continually changing things around and hopefully you know increasing functionality increasing features and making it more usable but there are going to be some annoyances there and i think that that's what we want to that's what we should expect from our software and even from ourselves as organizations. Like as we are changing, you're going to want to make sure that like the things that you're using are, you know, still really useful to you. And, and one measure that I would have versus like time or, uh, how, you know, how big the organization is, is like how much time you're using in your workarounds. So if your mm -hmm. system is supposed to be doing these things and it's not, and so you're having to do all these different workarounds to get the answers to the questions that you want and to like get access to the data that you want, then I would say that that's more of a measure of like, okay, maybe you should be looking at either a new system or the newest version of your current system or some other thing versus, um, you know, now it's been five years, you need to do something else. Like if it's still working for you and you and you can still do all the things that you want to in that system, then maybe you don't, maybe you're okay there, right? 
Right. And I think the, the real benefit of talking to consultants like yourselves uh, for that organization is uh, often, of course, we don't know what we don't know. So when we talk about a workaround um, that we may see, uh, uh, it, it may well be, well, I just didn't know it was possible to do it a different way. So we've always done it this way, and this is how we're still doing it. Um, but I think as the user expectations are also changing, um, I'm running into this uh, in the fund development work stuff that I do periodically where um, we, we really want the user to be able to come in and modify their own profile, their own um, future donations, whatever, without having to send an email or call the office because more people are used to that now. And if you go to the nonprofit stuff, like, well, we've always just processed donations this way. And if they have a problem, they can call us, which is true. Um, however, it's time intensive for everybody to do that as opposed to, is there a way for the user to step in themselves and manage something because they want that ability. And boy, if I'm the user, I may think about that, but sometimes the nonprofit staff I work with are not thinking that new feature is coming next year to this particular tool. And maybe that's the time that we leap to it is when, you know, user logins become, you know, a, a regular feature, for example, or something like that. Um, so I, I'm imagining there's got to be some, how do we evolve and, or have that question of what are those new feature sets that maybe it's time to jump and I'm guessing that's three years, but maybe that's too sh too long. I mean, how long do you kind of give it before you say we should really do a more holistic reevaluation of what the world has to offer and what your choices are? And I, uh, Lee, when, could you start us out with any thoughts that you have on how sure. often people might come back? Sure. I mean, I don't think I don't think it really is like a time. I, I, you know, Erica talked about it. it's it's really when it stops working for you or when it becomes too cumbersome. I don't think you really need to put a time frame on it three years five years whatever i mean software does turn over continuously so um but you want to be pragmatic about it and look at when the functionality and you know when you are starting to do too many workarounds mm -hmm. um i you know i and and when you know if you're on cloud-based solutions you know this the software is being constantly renewed you don't have to worry about upgrading to different versions generally unless they've completely rewritten the software on a new version but um you know, so that's some of the benefits of, of working on cloud solutions versus having something that you bought for a server and, you know, five years ago and now it's completely unsupported. Those kind of things are also, you know, red lights as to when you should start yeah. um, uh, looking for a new solution. We do encourage people to go towards cloud-based solutions because of that. So... Yeah, we are recording this in uh, January 2020 as all of the Windows 7 end of life messaging has been sent out, right? It's like if you you thought you had that, well, you know, it lasted a long time. It was out there for a while, but, you know, eventually these things sunset. Um, so I think there's that balance of, yeah, you're getting a message from the company you bought that from that this product is no longer supported. I, I think one of the challenges, though, is if somebody else kind of cracks a nut in a totally different area, you may not be aware of um and and your organization is you know human services or or whatever in the world and you're out doing that work um you're not taking a look at oh this einstein thing within salesforce is becoming really interesting in their artificial intelligence recommendations here not everybody gets to follow like what's the advantage of those things that are just kind of coming over the horizon just starting to become practical and when do we start going when that's useful even though our current system is still working, we think, but maybe there's a better thing that we just haven't really asked about. And I think those are really fascinating challenges for folks like you to help bring to the fore for nonprofits that don't have the expertise you're able to bring to the table. 
Yeah, and I would say that that's one of, you know, that's, we see tech impact, we see ourselves as, um, you know, that's a huge part of our role is around education. We, you know, we, there's a whole, you know, program of tech impact called Idealware that is, a, that is around education and resources for, you know, and training for nonprofits. We also have our, our conference and, um, you know, we have like free webinars and we do blog posts and we are about educating the nonprofit sector. But if people don't have time within their jobs, within their roles daily to consume education about like sometimes the, the needs for educating yourself about your own sector, like let's say you work in a housing organization or, you know, an arts management organization, like you are so focused on that kind of learning that you're not thinking about like, well, what about the technology tools in my organization? And so, you know, it should probably be somebody's somebody's role within within even small organizations to keep, you know, to keep abreast or at least to be spending some portion of their time on educating themselves around around tools and around um, using data and around, you know, making sure that, you know, you're being the most effective you can in your sort of collection and analysis and, and use of data. Um, but I we understand and we meet organizations all the time that just don't have that capacity don't you know and so they they come to us for education and that's a huge part of what we're doing well as we're starting to wind down on how much time we have available here let me kind of ask about what are some of the easy ways for people to stay in touch with you i mean other than you know tech forward which is you know in september um what what's the best way to kind of keep current as new publications are issued through idealware as new research comes out um, how should people kind of think about using Tech Impact as a resource to help them stay on top of that? We have a newsletter, which you can sign up for from our website. We also, which will also like sort of highlight, you know, our free education events and our webinars um, on a monthly basis. And we also have a website that we update a lot. So I would say those two things. Um, and you know, we're continuing of like sort of adding new sort of um, uh, resources for nonprofits. So there will be new things, you know, you know, on on our website and through Idealware. And so if you do sign up for the new our newsletter, you will be, you know, you'll be able to receive some of that communication. Um, yeah, and we have new webinars a lot, you know, frequently. So if we are seeing a trend or we're seeing sort of like that, you know, that we're, we're sort of getting questions from the nonprofit community about a certain thing, we may offer a webinar just to kind of, you know, provide some education or do a demo of a new tool that we're seeing more and more organizations be interested in or ask questions about. So, Lee, are there things coming up that you're um, looking at where you think, Boy, that's not quite baked yet. Um, people are asking about it, but it's maybe not ready. And you know, you, you have to temper expectations, or is that again just too individualized and uh, and it just varies organization to organization? Well, we, um, you know, we talked. We get a. We are starting to get more questions, and the, although these are probably people further along in the life cycle, but more questions about data strategy versus just a simple one, you know, single point type of solution. So we're getting people who, you know, have a lot of disparate systems and want to figure out what the next step would be in the life cycle. Do they, should they be looking for a single solution that does it all, which is often very expensive. 
expensive <laughs> versus going to kind of best in breed uh, single point solutions and those types of things. So we're getting we're getting more inquiries and things like that um, along those lines. So and then and then even just full strategy types of inquiries in terms of their whole technology ecosystem. Um, you know, needing a roadmap for where they should be going from uh, not only software and data, but from, you know, technology and governance, budgeting, all those types of things. So, you know, people follow along the kind of the spectrum of, of where they are from a maturity standpoint, um, from an IT maturity standpoint. And we, and we try and lead people through that whole um, life cycle. So. So I, I began by asking about things like, you know, maturing up into different systems that talk about information, but uh, you raise a really good point there really about the idea of um, the hardware component of what we do. Um, a, a few years ago, I, I stopped carrying a full laptop around with me because the Chromebook did everything I wanted it to do when I'm out in the field talking to people. <laughs> when, I, when I go back to my desktop with, you know, a couple of different monitors and uh, different software, you know, I'm, I'm running Windows, I've got heavy things, but boy, the technology of what do I need out there has changed from what it was when I started this kind of work. Uh, so I, I think, Erica, do you, do you talk about that um, when the full technology evaluation question, the hardware component of what people need to get to these systems too, or you really focus more on what systems are? You know, generally when people are talking, uh, when we're talking through like, you know, a system selection or identification process or even a strategy, we will learn about the kinds of hardware that people need you know, are using, especially in the in the field. So wherever there is like data collection, either in the field or directly from, you know, sort of um, the constituents or participants in nonprofit programs, mm -hmm. we're talking about something like, you know, something handheld, like some sort of Chrome, Chromebook or some other, you know. Um, and so th that's something that surfaced the consulting team at Tech Impact. So, so we will ask, you know, when we go do an analysis of different vendors, we'll ask, like, you know, how, you know, is there an is there an app for a phone? Um, how responsive are your web pages, or how you, you, you know, are they for, um, you know, on a, on a smaller machine? And so we'll learn about that and kind of like identify it as a need. Our team doesn't make recommendations about hardware, but there is a team at Tech Impact who is more, you know, if you're a managed services client of ours, we can make recommendations about hardware and even purchase and sometimes like install that that um, uh, hardware for you. So, well, that's not that's not Lee's in mind, like you know, Forte. Or well, the, is it's like something we can do at Tech Impact? Well. Yeah, and that's the only place in our consulting area that we're, where we do kind of mention that kind of stuff is when we do the the full technology, um, strategic technology plans, and that's where we do kind of do an assessment of uh, everything from hardware to security to governance to data to collaboration. In that case, we're not going to recommend necessarily. Well, sometimes we do, but we depends on how specific we need to get with. We're not going to tell you what PC to buy, but yeah. we'll tell you you need one of this much memory and this, you know this much capability and then, you know, uh, help you budget for that type of stuff. But that's a completely, that's a, that's a different type of project than the bulk of what we do. Most of our, most of the projects we do are, are pretty hardware 
agnostic and, and you know, just looking at what your requirements are. So, Right. And I think maybe a lot of the world is becoming much more hardware agnostic. And that's a, a, a good reflection on um, that's not the most important choke point in a lot of what we're doing anymore, where maybe at one point that, that could have been more of a concern. But now with cloud-based services being what they are, you know, it's less of a barrier. So it's good to be able to focus on those things. So we are just about out of time. I would right. like to just give you a, a quick moment to any um, further advice or offerings that you may want to throw on the table that I didn't ask about that you think are uh, kind of important? I feel like we've covered quite a few <laughs> topics here and sort of a lot of the different topics that we run into regularly when sort of, you know, doing these kinds of consultations with nonprofits. So I can't, there's nothing really on the top of my head right now. Okay. Well, with that said, I think we can just ask people if you're, you know, not sure where things are at with um, how you think about managing information data strategy, as uh, Lee put it a little bit ago, um, I, get in touch. Um, we'll have the contact information in the show notes for Tech Impact. Reach out, uh, have a conversation, kind of see where things could be going. I think it's great to be able to call on this expertise and help people evaluate where you're at. So uh, that all said, I just want to take a moment to uh, thank Erica Blake and Lee Broderick, consultants with Tech Impact. Thank you both so much for your time today. Great. Thanks so much, Steve. Oh, thank you, Steve. We enjoyed it.